Thank you, Deborah. Thank you, choir, for that great special this morning. Great music this morning. Take your Bible, turn with it to Matthew chapter number 13. Matthew chapter 13. Now, in our study of the book of Matthew, we discover that Matthew sets out a series of parables that Jesus told that have become known as the kingdom parables because they all deal with the kingdom of God. The one we're going to be looking at today is actually the first recorded parable of Jesus. It is often called the parable of the sower or the parable of the seed, but in reality the emphasis is on the soil. All the parables, of course, are valuable, but I think this first one especially so because it challenges us to do a spiritual checkup. Now, I've been preaching for over 30 years. That's a lot of preaching. But it also means that I've spent a lot of time watching people listen to me preach. Those 30 years in the ministry have absolutely convinced me that there are a wide variety of listeners in every congregation. You would literally be amazed at what a pastor sees as he stands up and looks out over the congregation each week. Some weeks it's hallelujah glory, some weeks you would like to go in the back and shoot yourself in the head. As I look out over the crowd, I see some people with their Bibles open, their outlines in their hand, their pen ready to fill in that outline. There are others who are physically here, but mentally they checked out. The, uh, the lights are on, but nobody's home. There are still others who have their cell phone in their hand, and they're either looking up the Bible reference on the Bible on their cell phone, or they're texting their neighbor. I'm going to assume the first. As a pastor, you have the opportunity to watch as people struggle to stay awake. Or in some cases, not struggle to stay awake. (laughs) Almost every pastor has some funny story to tell about people falling asleep in the service. Of seeing someone fall asleep and hit their head on the pew in front of them. Or being elbowed by their mates, standing their feet pronouncing the benediction because they thought it was over. I really do have a great deal of sympathy for those who have to keep from falling asleep. Sometimes it's because we keep too hectic a schedule with our lives, and so anytime we slow down, sit down, we fall asleep. Other times it's because of medication, and and sometimes, sadly, although I do the best I can, it's just the sermon is boring. But falling asleep in the service is not my greatest concern. As I said, it can happen for any number of reasons. What does concern me is the number of people who sit in a pew each week with their bodies awake but their souls asleep. Some people pay more attention to the commercials on TV than they do to the Word of God. And that is a problem that Jesus also faced. As Jesus continued his ministry in the surrounding area of Galilee, whole cities emptied out to see this miracle worker in action and to hear his unique message. The parallel account in Mark chapter 4 and verse 1 adds this detail. And there was such a crowd along the shore 
that he got into a boat and sat down and spoke from there. Now that's an impressive scene, one that we might expect Jesus to be impressed by, such a large crowd. But Jesus knew why many of them had come to hear him. Some had merely come to sample it, you know, to see what it was really going on. In fact, some of them had no spiritual interest at all. Perhaps the most frightening of all, some of them, by their repeated hearing of the gospel, repeated hearing and not believing, they had become hardened to the gospel. Just as some people today sit in churches around our country who are gospel hardened, because they have heard the truth so many times and yet have failed to act to it, now that truth does nothing at all to them. It is to these people that Jesus speaks this parable. Perhaps as Jesus sat in the boat and began to teach with a crowd of listeners on the shore, he happened to see a ready-made illustration. Perhaps on the hillside, in the distance, he saw a sower. A man scattering seed with birds all around him trying to get those seeds as they fell to the ground. I think the comparison was instinctive, for here he was sowing the word of God, and after him, his disciples and other followers would do the same. How could he make them understand the reception that their preaching and teaching would have? His parable was to answer the question that would surely arise, why do we not see more results? Verse 1 of chapter 13 says, On the same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea, and a great multitude were gathered to him, so that he got into a boat and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. Then he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. Some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. And he who has ears to hear... Let him hear. As Jesus completed the parable here in verse 9, he called out to the crowd, He who has ears, let him hear. Now the word hear is used nine times in this section of Scripture. And it means more than just the physical ability to hear. Hearing has the meaning of listening with spiritual understanding and receptivity. Each of the gospel writers has something to say about that. Luke records that Jesus said, be careful how you hear. And Mark records a different emphasis. According to Mark, Jesus said, be careful what you hear. Yet the emphasis of each of the gospel writers is obviously on the receptivity or the receptiveness of the listener. 
Jesus is revealing the condition of one's heart determines whether there is any receptivity to the truth or not. Now, we're really not left to wonder what this parable means or make guesses about its meaning because his disciples in verse 18 ask him, ask him the question, what does this mean? And in verse 18 through 23, Jesus tells them. So when Jesus is alone with his disciples, he graciously explains his meaning. There are three very simple components to this parable. Jesus is the sower, the seed is the word of God, and the soils are the hearts of the listeners, hearts and souls of the listeners. In each case, the seed is the same, but the soil into which the seed falls is what makes the difference. In this story, four different responses are giving, along with four different causes having four distinct results. But we need to note here that Jesus is describing hearts, not lives. He's not saying that once a man is like a certain kind of soil, he's unchangeable. That his life is forever like this. He's saying that his heart may be like this, but hearts can be changed. Hearts are altered by the decisions that we make in our lives. And it's quite possible that a single individual can pass through all four of those conditions. And probably all of us do. What Jesus is asking us and what we need to consider this morning is, what is your heart like when it hears the word of God? Now we're going to look at each of those four kinds of hearts that are presented in the parable And we're going to first look at what the parable says, and then we're going to look at the Lord's interpretation of that particular heart. The first soil is the calloused heart, the hard ground, the callous heart. It's described in verse 4. And as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. Jesus describes that particular heart in verse 19. He says, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. And this is he who receives seed by the wayside. I think the key to understanding that particular heart, the heart of this individual, is the phrase does not understand it. This does not mean that they really want to understand it and just can't get it. The problem here is not a mere lack of understanding, but of an unwillingness to allow the truth to penetrate their heart. As the sower goes along and he casts his seed, some falls on the roadside, and the birds flutter down and steal it away. Now, what is the characteristic of this soil, of this ground? The ground is unbroken and hard. And because it landed on the pathways or the roads between the fields, the soil never really received the seed at all. In our culture, it would be like throwing grass seeds on the sidewalk. The seeds just bounce off the hard surface and lay on top of it, ready to be blown away by the wind or carried away by the birds. These hard Beaten paths are characteristics of the parts of some who hear the word of God. The busyness of their lives has so hardened them that God's word does not stir them. 
The word then, he says, is stolen away before it can penetrate the hearts of the listener. Satan comes along and he steals the word from their hearts. And there are any number of ways that he may do this. He may attack the word of God with the reasoning of the world. Or he may use the hard-hearted man or woman's pride of their own superior intellect to dismiss the truth of the gospel. Sometimes he uses just the sheer busyness of their lives to dull their hearts of any feeling whatsoever. Sometimes this kind of individual is not hostile to the gospel, but often just simply uninterested. Some may be tempted, though. You're saying that, the, that it can be snatched away. But I thought the word of God could never return void. How then can it be snatched away? It is true that the word of God never returns empty. But it bears either the good news of repentance or the sad news of judgment on those who have rejected it. Secondly, there's a shallow heart, the rocky ground. Now the picture changes and we move from the hard, unreceptive heart to the shallow, superficial heart. Jesus says in verses 5 and 6, Some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up because they have no depth of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And then Jesus explains it in verses 20 and 21. But he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. And yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. But when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. The stony ground is not just ground with rocks in it, but rather it describes ground that is only a few inches thick with bedrock underneath it. So when the, ground, when the seed is sown, it quickly germinates, but it's unable to put down any real roots. When the sun comes up, it rapidly scorches the plant, which comes up quickly, but because without roots it cannot live, it withers away. This individual <clears throat> responds to the gospel with enthusiasm, perhaps even emotion. But the love of this world and the concerns of the things of this world and the pleasures of life struggle to the point that they finally strangle out every vestige of life in this individual. This kind of superficial believer, Jesus says, endures for a while. But in reality, they were never truly saved. These listeners respond enthusiastically to the presentation of the gospel, but only because they don't have an adequate grasp of its implications. The problem with the superficial, shallow heart is that it all is ready to follow whatever seems to offer the greatest benefit. Many of this caliber turn their back because they believe in a gospel that says one should never have to struggle or suffer if they're walking in the will of God. They had their emotions stirred, but they made no real commitment of their lives and of their hearts to Jesus Christ. They will follow Jesus 
only so far as it makes things better for them, makes them more prosperous, or makes them happy. The truth is this. The truth is that God has promised to be with us on the mountaintops and in the valleys. He will be with us in good times and in the bad. He has promised he will never leave us nor forsake us. He did not promise us an easy time. He promised that we would never be alone. Yet there are those with superficial, shallow experiences that when the hard times come, they immediately are offended. In other words, they quit. The demonstration of salvation is not seen in those who endure for a while, but for those who persist. The German theologian Helmut Thick once commented, there is nothing more cheering than transforming, transformed Christian people. And there is nothing more disheartening than people who have merely been brushed by Christianity. People who have been sown a thousand seeds, but in whose lives there is no depth or root. Therefore they fall when the first whale winds of adversity come along. It is the half-Christian who always flops in the face of the first catastrophe that happens because their dry intellectualism or their superficial emotionalism did not stand the test. And so even that which they think they have is taken away from them. A person who lets Jesus only halfway into his heart is far poorer than a 100% pagan. That's a thought. The third group is the crowded heart. The thorny ground. Verse 7 says, And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. And Jesus explains that in verse 22. And now he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word, and the cares of this world and the deceitful of riches choke the word, and he becomes unfruitful. This type of ground is clear on the surface, but underneath where no one can see, there are all manner of weeds just waiting to spring up. In this life, the word is choked to death. The thorns, Jesus explains, represent life's worries, its riches, and its pleasures. These three things choke out the word. These pleasures can be entertainment, which pushes God aside, or sports, or hot hobbies, or anything that becomes more important than God and his service. Based on the examination of the superficial heart and the busy, crowded heart, we might face the question, well, were these people saved and lost their salvation? Is it possible for born-again believers to become so tempted by sin or overwhelmed by affliction or choked with the worries of this world or the pleasures of life that they lose their eternal reward? And the answer is, unequivocally, no. In John chapter 3, Jesus had a conversation with Nicodemus. There he told him that those who came to him were born of the Spirit, and those who were born of the Spirit would never perish. The question is not whether one can lose their salvation, but whether or not one has ever 
truly been saved. The fourth and final group this morning is the fruitful heart, the good ground. This is found in verse 8, but others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Jesus explains that in verse 23. But he who receives seed on the good soil, good ground, is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. What is the difference? Well, the difference here is that the soil is prepared. Jeremiah 4.3 says, This is what the Lord says to the people of Judah and Jerusalem. Plow up the hard ground of your hearts. Do not waste your good seed among thorns. In Hosea chapter 10 and verse 12, he says, Plant the good seeds of righteousness that you might harvest the crop of my love. Plow up the hard ground of your heart, for now is the time to seek the Lord that he may come and shower righteousness upon you. I think the point here is that we have a responsibility to actively seek the Lord and do all that we can to avoid those things that cause the word to be unfruitful in our lives. Then and only then will we become productive for the kingdom of God. In the parallel account in Luke chapter 8 and verse 15, three characteristics are given of the good ground. First, they hear with a noble and good heart. Secondly, they keep or hold steadfast to that word. And the result is that they bear fruit with patience. The kind of listener that pleases God is not the one who makes a dramatic start and then quits, or the one whose commitment is slowly choked out by other worldly concerns. But rather the listener that pleases God is the one who thoughtfully hears the gospel, understands its implication, and then consistently grows and matures, and as a result bears fruit. Pastor Ray Stedman once wrote, I used to read this story as though these various soils were four different kinds of people who remained the same all through their lives. Some were permanently hard-hearted, like the first example given. Some were impulsive. Some were full of concerns. But I've come to see that what the Lord is describing here is not four types of people, but the conditions of hearts at any given moment. Whenever the word is being taught, people are in one condition or another, just as has been described to us. We've all been calloused at times. We've all been impulsive in our reaction, emotional and shallow. We've all been overly concerned about other matters. And we all have at times been open and responsive to his word. Here's the good news. No matter what this text reveals about your heart, what it reveals about your spiritual condition, you don't have to stay there. Calloused, shallow, crowded hearts can change. The condition of our heart determines whether we receive the word. 
And so let me ask you today, what is the condition of your heart today? The abiding principle in hearing God's word is that hearing is absolutely worthless if it doesn't result in doing. If we do not put into practice the truth we have heard, it will fade and we will lose it. Has God impressed on you to send a note of thanks to someone? Then sit down, take the time, and do it. Has God impressed upon you someone you should forgive? Then do it. Has God impressed on you that there's someone that you should apologize to? Then you need to do it. Has God impressed on your heart someone that you should share the truth of his word with? Then do it. Has God impressed on you that there is a practice that you need to stop? Something in your life. Then stop thinking about it and do it. Has God impressed on you the need to stop what you are doing and start serving him? Then stop rationalizing, stop looking for heavenly signs and just do it. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you continue to work in our lives and we recognize that sometimes we are calloused. We're hard, maybe because of what may be going on in our lives at any particular moment. We're hard and unreceptive. There are other times that we're shallow and rather superficial. We, we look like it and we act like it on the surface, but there's really no depth there. But Lord, we, we want to be the kind who are not choked away by the concerns of this life. We want to be open and receptive and fruitful vessels for your word. As you look into our hearts this morning, Lord, we know that you alone can really tell where are we at, and the condition of our heart. But I pray that you reveal to each of us the condition of our own heart this morning and help us to be willing to do whatever is necessary to make the changes in our lives that you would show us. Father, perhaps there's someone here this morning that needs to just give up and turn their life over to you. They've never accepted the salvation that you so freely offer. Perhaps they've heard it before, but they've never really availed themselves of the opportunity, committed themselves to following you. Perhaps there's, there are others who make the, need to make a decision about baptism. They've been putting it off. They know they need to, but they just haven't done it. Maybe there are others who need to make decisions about church membership. Lord, whatever it is that you want in our lives, we pray that you'd speak to our hearts. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.